before we jump into the sermon, um, I have one uh, just quick announcement. Um, in a couple of Sundays, actually, I think it's a week from today, yeah, this upcoming Sunday, October 6th, we are having a state planning seminars. Um, and uh, if you don't have a will and you haven't figured out what your estate looks like, that's something that I really encourage you to do. A couple of weeks, I mean, a couple of years ago, one of our elders, Steve Jennings, looked at me after we had our second kid and he said, do you have a will? And I said, no. And he said, get a will, because if you and your wife pass away, that's going to be a hairy mess for everyone left behind. And especially you need to identify who your kids are going to, as well as you don't want your money going and having the government decide and take a large chunk of it for them to decide what's going to happen to your estate. And so we as a church want to provide that for you all. So please come next Sunday to one of our state planning seminars. It's October 6th. There's one right after service um, for seniors, adults who are trying to figure out a way to, to plan uh, their estate um, specified for, for you all. And then there's one later in the day for more young families and what that looks like um, for your kids and stuff. So if you do not have a will, if you've not done this, make sure to come and be a part of one of our estate planning seminars um, this next Sunday. Let me pray and then we're going to dive into the sermon today. Lord, I uh, just want to, I want to lift up uh, this service to you. We we need a word from you. In a world that seems so chaotic and so messed up and so upside down, Lord, we do need to hear this message that uh, you gave John so many years ago and yet still rings true today. Lord, take us to your throne room and show us who you are and show us um, an anchor for our lives. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. The last thing we need in a life, in a world that's upside down, is a musical. Okay? Now, I love musicals. It's hard for me to say this, but my family grew up, we loved going and seeing a show. I like everything about going and seeing a musical, going and being a part of a musical, going and being part of a show. This is just kind of what I grew up around anytime, all the way through elementary, middle school, high school, any community organization or church or, or school musical that was put on, my family was there. My dad was building a set, my mom was painting it or directing or acting, and us kids were a part of it. I was uh, an orphan in Oliver. I was a newsie in the Christmas Post. My sister was one of the Von Trapp kids. My mom was Maria. My grandma was um, the mother of the thing. Um, And if you don't know what that is, then go watch Sound of Music. Um, uh, I I was uh, the king in Aida. I was Maurice in Beauty and the Beast. And I was the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. This was just what we did growing up. Actually, we told my daughter, Jerry, that I was the Tin Man, the Wizard of Oz, as she was watching the Wizard of Oz. And so every time she walks it, she was like, Sai! I mean, she was like, Daddy! Actually, sometimes she does call me Sai. She goes, hi, Sai. I'm like, I'm Daddy. She's like, Sai, Daddy. Okay, so, um, but she said, Dad, look, that's you! And we're like, yeah, that was Daddy. I was the Tin Man. And then over time, we realized that she's like, Dad, she'd ask questions like, Daddy, why'd you fall down? You're so silly. And we're like, oh, she thinks that that's me in the movie. <laughs> Try and explain that to your three-year-old. Like, well, that, I was the Tin Man in a show, in a production of The Wizard of Oz in high school, but that's not me. And she just has a blank stare, and then she just starts crying. But, Daddy, you're the Tin Man. We're, like, we're scarring this girl for life. I mean, she is so confused. Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. I was a Tin Man. That's right. Um, but, man, I, we loved musicals growing up, but... It's kind of weird to say it though, like musicals are kind of weird. 
I love musicals. My, my top five, um, in no particular order, uh, Music Man, West Side Story, Les Mis, Wicked, Spamalot, and The Lion King. Those, those are six. My top six. There you go. I love musicals, and we grew up going to them all the time, but they're kind of weird, right? Like, in regular conversation, you don't just break out into song. No. There's not like an orchestra that's waiting for you, and then you just start singing, and the orchestra swells behind you, and there's a chorus line that shows up, and they all know the same dance moves, right? That just doesn't happen in real life. Never in my life was I on the playground and, and the bully was bullying me. And he said, Saw, you're nothing. You're no one. You're just a street rat. Street rat. Riff raff. I don't buy that. Only if they look closer. That doesn't happen, right? Fourth grade side doesn't do that on the playground. Musicals are just weird. And you know what's interesting? Is when we turn the page from Revelation 3 to Revelation 4, what we get is a musical. We do. We enter through this open door and there's a stage that is set. In the middle of the stage is a throne. And on that throne, all around it are these 24 other thrones and there's what looks like a rainbow encircling the thrones. And before the throne is this sea, of of, uh, this clear as crystal sea, just like still as glass right before the throne. And the one sitting on the throne has this incredible makeup job done where it looks like these beautiful, colorful colors of of jasper and ruby. And you hear the orchestra begin to swell and they're beating the drums and it sounds like peals of thunder and the lighting crew has the lights going on right over the, the throne. It looks like flashes of lightning are coming out of the throne and all of a sudden the orchestra and the choir raise their voices and they start keep singing again and again and again. They break out into song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He said, you are worthy to receive praise and honor and glory. And they sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. It's a musical. And you go, what's going on here? Because I don't know about you, but the chapters two and three were pretty clear in the book of Revelation. They're letters. We have other examples of that in the New Testament where a pastor is writing a letter to his church. In those two chapters, you have these seven letters to these seven churches, and you're like, man, this is making a ton of sense. I get what's going on here. And then they get to the church of Laodicea, and they have a message for them, and then you turn the page, and then, then there's this picture of heaven, and a choir shows up. It's really confusing, because that's not reality. And if you are getting more and more questions with this series in the book of Revelation, if you're struggling to understand the symbols or, or, or what it consists of, I really encourage you to come uh, in two weekends. Uh, Shane Wood, one of our teaching ministers here, will be hosting a Q&A on the book of Revelation in our chapel at 6 p.m. on Sunday night, October 13th. Come and just bring all your questions. Like We're, we're covering the book in these broad strokes as I believe that's how it was heard and understood. But man, if you have a question about something, bring that question to, to the Q&A. I challenge you to do two things before that Q&A. First, read the entire book of Revelation and write down all of your questions. Second, go to Shane's website at shanejwood.com. He has all of his class lectures in the book of Revelation. Listen to those before you come. You don't want to ask a question that he's already answered on the podcast. Like, listen to those, write down your questions, and then bring them to Shane, and he'll answer them for you. He's written his master's thesis and doctoral dissertation on the book of Revelation. It's a fantastic opportunity. Don't miss that. But what's going on here? Actually, what's interesting is that this musical piggybacks off of the end of these seven letters. It's a continuation of a thought. 
The chapter division shouldn't be there. Look at this in Revelation 3. This is how John's message ends to these churches that are living life on earth. This is what he says to them here, Laodicea, the last church, Revelation 3, verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat with me. He's saying, man, when life feels like it's upside down, when you're living life in this chaos of life, I'm knocking at the door. Open it up and I'll bring clarity to you. I will guide you. I will dwell with you. You see, these churches in Asia Minor, they didn't know what was up and what was down, what was left and what was right. It's kind of like an airplane pilot who's flying over the ocean where there's no land in sight. And, and, and the sky has, the blue sky has no clouds anywhere that they can see. And so then you have the ocean, the sky and the sea merging as one. And next thing you know, you don't know what side is up and what side's down. It gets kind of creepy up there. And what, well, the only thing they can rely upon to know if they're doing what, flying the way, where they should be flying is their instruments. They're relying solely on these instruments to tell them if they're heading in the right direction, what their altitude is, what's the sea and what's the sky. That's what the churches need. Jesus is knocking on the door and says, listen, let me be your guide. Let me be your instrument. And so what happens is this door is opened, and that's how Revelation 4 begins. After this, I looked, verse 1, and there before me was what? A door standing open. Someone had opened the door. And Jesus called them out of the chaos, out of the confusion, into heaven and said, let me show you what must He says this. The voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. He's saying, come to the open door. Come and see. Come and look. Come and understand this chaotic life. Let me, it's this idea of the book of Revelation literally means to pull back the veil. And John's revealing to us, through this open door, this is what's true. This is what's up. This is what's down. Let me show you how to make sense of this chaotic world around you. Eugene Peterson describes um, this uh, reality of the book of Revelation like walking into a house. And you walk into the house, the smell of food cooking hits you in the face, right? You're like, that smells good, but you don't know what it is yet. And your nose begins trying to figure out the source of this smell. And you begin walking through the house and, no, it's not in the living room, it's definitely not in the bathroom. And then you get to the kitchen, on the stove, there's this big pot. And your nose is picking up scents from the past. And you're like, mm, I recognize that tomato and that beef. And, and then you be, I don't know exactly what it is in the pot. And revelation, the unveiling, the pulling back of the veil is that moment you pull the lid off the pot. Right? And it reveals to you the source of the smell. Ah, it's stew. You see, all the way since chapter 1, verse 1, there's been these little hints. There's been these little guides. And we've had this aroma, this smell that we're trying to figure out what's the source What's the center? What's the hub of all of this reality? And John in Revelation 4 is pulling back the veil. He's saying, let me show you what must take place. Let me show you what's behind this upside down world and what it means to live right side up. Take a look at what I mean here in, chapter, in verses 2 and 3. It says this, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. 
You see, the, as the curtain opens to our musical, there's a throne with someone sitting on it. And what is important about a throne is a throne is a symbol of authority. This being on the throne is in control, is sovereign, has authority over all of the, the cosmos. They're in control. And what's important about this picture of this musical is not just who's on the throne, but who isn't. It's not just who's on the throne, but who's around the throne. Look at verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, you do not measure numbers, you weigh them, okay? You weigh, the, the number has a weight, it has a symbolic meaning. It's the same way that we, the reason why you go, get in a hotel room and you go up to the 16th floor, the elevator is going to go up to 9, 10, 11, 12, and what happens next? 14, right? It's like, that's not the 14th floor, that's the 13th floor. Yeah, but they're not measuring the floors, they're weighing them. 13 in our culture is an unlucky number. So we don't use that number when you get a hotel room. This is, number 24 is a weighty number. It has symbolic meaning for the Jews. It's two times 12 equals 24. It's two sets of 12. In the Old Testament, there were the 12 tribes of Israel that were the representation of what it meant to be part of the people of God. You belong to the people of God if you belong to the 12 tribes. These are like the heads of the people of God. And then in the New Testament, there are 12 disciples, the new people of God, the 12 disciples of Jesus. And you belong to the people of God when you follow the apostles' teaching. And so you have here the representatives of the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, the elders, the leaders. And what's important about them is this. They are not on the throne. Because so often, in our world, in my world, in your world, we put our leaders on our throne. Our elders, our lead pastors, our small group leaders, our bosses, our political leaders, our world leaders. We look to them for hope, for peace. Look to them for, as an anchor for our reality. And what's true about the throne room is this, that when we put something that is not at the hub of reality, but is actually around the throne, and when we make that the anchor of our life, and life hits, the chaos of this world, it deconstructs everything we've built. I had a professor, a mentor of mine, the leaders in his life were his idols. They were the ones that brought security and comfort and helped him make an understanding of this is up, this is down. I have a father and I have a, a, a pastor and I have a president and these are the anchors of my reality. And instead of them being on the circumference around the throne like they're supposed to be, he made them the hub of his life. But John pulls back the veil and says, no, no, they're not the hub, they're not the anchor, they're just around the throne. And he said in the late 60s and the early 70s, Right around the Watergate scandal, he said, three months of my life, the world ripped everything out from under me. My father left my mother. My pastor had a moral failure. And my president was impeached. The things that he had made, the foundation, what John shows us, they were actually just part of the circumference. They were just part of the 
outskirts of the reality of the world. And when the, the wheel of chaos of life hit, it pulled his feet out from under him. Who's that for you? Like, who's at the hub of your reality? Because I promise you, something will happen that will show you that they can't be relied upon if it's anyone but the one on the throne. You see, this is the picture that we're beginning to see in this book of Revelation, this unveiling that is happening, this taking the, the lid off the pot. We're beginning to smell and understand exactly what's at the center of the universe. The key of the vision, the elders not on the throne. They surround it. They point all of their authority. They point all of their power to the one at the center. Look at what else is not the center of the throne. It's verse 6. It says this, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. What's key, remember, is not who's on the throne, but who's around the throne. Both are key. And these four living creatures, all four of them are the kings of their domain. The lion was the king of the wild animal kingdom. The ox was the king of the tame animal kingdom. The man is the king and sovereign over all of the animal kingdom, over all of creation. Right? This is his domain. And then the eagle was king over the dominion of the sky, the kingdom of the sky. And yet even all of creation, all of nature, the picture of the throne room is this. They're not the hub. They exist around the throne. You see, so often every culture has nature worship as part of its history. Where we are provided food from the fields, nourishment from the rain, shelter, food from the animals that we kill. And what happens is creation becomes the hub of our reality. Maybe it's nature worship. Maybe it's caring for the environment. Maybe it's getting your body healthy and well and in sync with all the right nutritions and macronutritions and all of that stuff. Maybe it's science and it's the study of the physical realm. It's understanding how it all works together. Or maybe it's technology and it's progress. I mean, did you know that now we have uh, robots that can do gymnastics? I have no idea what purpose that's for, that serves in any way. But we can do it. Whatever it is, in this natural realm, we make these things that are actually around the throne, we make it the hub of our reality. And yet when things happen, when things happen like science and technology and progress is going to make our life better, and then it's World War I where we use technology to destroy each other. Our foundation's uprooted. When we want to care for the environment, and yet an EF5 tornado comes through our our town and destroys us and kills so many are in sync with the world is uprooted when we study natural physics and then we realize that that is totally uprooted with quantum physics the wheel of chaos turns and our anchor is unrooted when we thought that eggs were good and then no 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 the yolk is bad the white part's good no no the white part's bad the yellow part's good no no now eggs just the moderations are good it's like oh i don't know what in the world i should be eating but the wheel of chaos turns. And what we find is the things that we root our life in and center our life around, if it's not the one on the throne in the center of the universe, when crisis hits, we don't know what side is up, what side is down, what side is left or right, because our center was actually something that was on the outside. It wasn't on the one on the throne. 
See, we need direction. We need guidance. And what happens is this, that in the midst of this, this chaotic world, they start singing. It's a musical breaks out. The choir brings out their voices. The orchestra swells. And they say these words. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. I see the song is the key to the show. What they sing unlocks what makes the upside, upside down world right side up. See, what they're saying is this, the one on the throne, he is holy. He's set apart unlike anything else. And he's the creator. He's the one that started all of this and sustained it. And when he is on the throne and you make him the center of your reality, no matter how crazy the wheel spins, he's the hub. He's constant. And he will stop that wheel and he'll show you what's up and what's down, what's left and what's right. On April 15th, 1865, it was the day after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And a riot broke out in the streets of New York City, right by Wall Street. People were in an uproar. I mean, the Civil War had just ended, and now the president was assassinated. What was going to happen now? People were panicking. In the midst of the panic, one voice rose above everybody else and stopped everybody dead in their tracks. His name was James Abram Garfield. He was a Christian church pastor, the only pastor in the history of America that became a president a decade and a half later from this moment. But Garfield stepped into the midst of the chaos and the midst of the panic, and he said these words, fellow citizens, clouds and darkness are round about him. His pavilion is dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Justice and judgment are the establishment of his throne. Mercy and truth shall go before his face. Fellow citizens, God reigns. He said, God reigns, and the government at Washington still lives. There's a truth in what he said that is true no matter the age of history. To the creators on the throne. He's the hub. He's the center of the entire universe. And the government of Washington one day will not still live. Like every other nation that has gone before and that will come after, it's temporary. But the creator on the throne, he's at the center of it all. No matter what happens with the wheel of chaos in your life, God reigns. I don't know about you, when I look at this, one question keeps coming back to my mind and I, and I can't help but ask it and struggle with it. And it's this, where do I belong on the wheel? Like, God is holy, he's creator, he reigns over all of creation, and everything else that I try to base my life off of, it just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning. Nothing is an anchor like God. It's the only anchor. It's the only center of the universe. And yet he's holy. He's pure. He's totally good. And I look at that and I say, I, I feel like I live life in this constantly, in the chaos, in the upheaval, in the upside down. How do I get here? How do I live my life with the creator at the center? Calm, at peace, a firm foundation. 
See, John struggled with the same question too when he saw this vision in chapter four. It's why he reacted the way he did in chapter five. Look at this, verse one. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. You see, the scroll was a symbol of, hey, here's good news. Here's a message. Here's truth. Here's a guide for you on how to stop living life in the chaos on the extremes and how to live life at the center with the anchor on the creator of the universe. The scroll is the key. He said, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So he wept. Although the we know that God's on the throne. He's in the center. The way is unknown. No one can open the scroll. So John weeps. And so should we. Because I don't know about you, but more often than not, we all come here on Sunday, we listen to a sermon or a podcast or read some bumper sticker with some trite, pithy cliche that God's still in control. God's on the throne. But then we go to work. And then we drive past that family holding up a sign at Walmart, right? We turn on the news to another conflict in the Middle East or we take another painkiller at night to ease the pain of this terrible existence. And we weep because we can't make sense of this reality. It's a reality of sin, of this world being cursed because of our rebellion. You remember, this is what's happened is we rebelled against our creator. He said, I'm the creator. I'm the center of the universe. And we said, uh, how about no? I think I can figure it out on my own. And the decisions that we make, the behaviors that we engage in, all they do is they just create this wheel of chaos in the world around us. Fathers abusing their kids. College students masking their insecurities and fears by getting wasted on Saturday nights just to escape the harsh reality and stressors of not really knowing who they are and where they belong. It's seeing the world changing so rapidly before our eyes, the way that we grew up. And instead of leaning into the next generation and the gifts and the abilities and the strengths of it for reaching the world, we complain, we ignore, and we turn inside to be people with like, just like us. And the wheel spins and spins and spins because of sin, because of rebellion, because of hate, because of racism, because of selfishness, because of greed. And the things that we try and anchor our souls and our spirits and our lives in creates more and more chaos. But then... The dreary dirge ends in our musical. The curtains open up and, and the throne room is still there. Yet there's a new character next to the throne. A lamb. Standing in the throne. And the choir, the, the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures open up their mouths and they sing another song. A song of celebration, a song of praise. And they say in verse 9, you are worthy 
to the lamb. You are worthy, lamb, to take this scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made to them to be a kingdom of priests and to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. See, what's important is this song that they're singing that all creation is praising this lamb who can open the scroll for the lamb made the way. You see, here's the the message of the lamb is, you don't belong in the chaos. You don't belong in life upside down. You belong right here with your creator at the hub, at the center of the universe. See, the lamb, John called one person the lamb of God in his gospel. It's when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb was the substitute for our sins. You see, we cause this chaos of evil and suffering in our world. We deserve punishment. But the lamb of God is the fact that this being on the throne in the center of the universe, he became a baby. He entered his creation, lived life among us, showed us the way to life, the way of truth, And he said, come, all who are weary of this, and I will give you rest. And he paid the price for our sin, that we might have access to life in the center. Mount Proctor said it this way, when life seems filled with uncertainties, we need a center, an anchor, a firm and fixed point from which we can navigate. He said, for the sailor, it's the North Star. For the musician, it's Middle Sea. But for the Christian, it's the throne. What's important about the throne is both who's on it and who surrounds it. For look at the finale of this musical today. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They, these angels, encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Then I heard in verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And they all echoed and said, Amen. So who's around the throne is every creature in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. None of them deserve our worship. But who's at the center is the king over his kingdom and the Lamb who paved the way. See, no matter what happens in this wheel of chaos, the hub remains the same. You see, this is what worship does. Worship rehearses that reality. When you come in here on a Sunday morning, you rehearse this reality that all the things in the world around you, money, success, image, sex, intimacy, none of it lasts. The worship says, no, no, I'm going to worship the king on the throne and the lamb who paved the way. Because this is what, when we do that, this, they say, okay, let me show you what's actually up and down and left and right. There was a pastor named Robert Fulgram who performed a wedding for this couple. And he said it was an exceptional wedding. It was nothing you could ever possibly have imagined. He said there was this being called the M-O-T-B, the mother of the bride. 
And the mother of the bride, he said, was off the chain for this wedding. He said she went the extra mile. It was exceptional. He said the decorations, the rose petals, the lights, the centerpieces. The I mean, he said the, uh, they had a brass choir and a, and a, and a four, you know, a, 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 a string quartet, and they had just everything you could possibly. Three cameras at all these different angles to capture every moment of this wedding. It was just an incredible wedding. And so they were up at the stage, ready to receive the bride. He said, but all throughout the wedding, leading up to this moment, the bride was really nervous, and she was in the reception area with her. Um, father and she was getting really nervous and he's like hey you know look you know maybe maybe eating would help and so there's all this this huge table this spread of all the appetizers that all the guests were going to eat at right after the wedding ceremony was over so she's taking a bite of the cheese ball and she's eating a bacon wrapped shrimp and she's taking a swig of champagne just to kind of calm her nerves and she just goes on for a little while and she's just stuffing herself more and more food and then the time comes and the doors open and the bride begins walking down the aisle everyone stands up in that moment they look back to see the bride now she comes forward her face is as white as her gown and as she gets to the front of the stage, she upchucks everything on everyone. On her dress, on her father, on the preacher, on the wedding party. I mean, everything. And so they halt the wedding and they take her and they clean her up and they clean up all the stuff. They dismiss the guests to the reception hall. And they ended up finishing the wedding at the reception hall with the groom holding up his sick bride and them saying their vows and then giving her very gentle, caring yet health-conscious kiss. (laughs) Ten years later, they gathered at the same venue to celebrate 10-year anniversary of this couple. And what'd they do? They got all the decorations out and all the food, no bacon-wrapped shrimp this time. And they got the screen out and they watched the wedding. And they celebrated how? Like, how do you celebrate a wedding like that? Right? The chaos, the mess. I mean, talk about the wheel of chaos. Here's why. Because the, all that mattered at the end of the day was this. That the bride got the groom. At the end of the day, they were married. And 10 years later, they were celebrating a wedding. See, at the end of the day, all that matters is this, in the midst of the wheel and the chaos of life, is that the bride gets the groom. And you church, you Christians, there's another song. At the end of this vision, where the four living creatures and the 24 elders raise their voices and they sing the finale that has an encore for our musical, and it goes like this, Revelation 19, verse 6, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Church, you are the bride of Christ. Christian, you are the bride of Christ. And if you're unchurched, you're de-churched, maybe you've been hurt by the church, here's good news for you. You can come and be a part of the bride of the lamb and the one on the throne. You can have access to the center of the universe. And no matter how crazy the wheel of chaos goes, guess what, at the end of the day, the good news of Revelation four and five is this, the bride gets the groom. 
Here's my message to you today. It's really simple. It's all in this one little phrase. Worship keeps your center on the right center. When you worship, it keeps your center of your life, not on any of this craziness, but on the right center that at the end of the day, the bride gets the groom. So I end this sermon with a challenge and an invitation. Here's the challenge. Worship. Commit your family to worshiping. Make worship with the body of Christ and the bride of Christ a priority. The regular attender of churches in America attends worship 1.7 times a month. My challenge to you is to not focus on the center only one day out of 30, but three times a month. This year, Mark the date from now till next year, three times a month, whether we're in town or not, we are going to come with the bride of Christ and we're going to rehearse this good news that at the end of the day, the bride gets the groom because I'm tired of living life in the chaos of the world. Here's the invitation. Worship. I want to invite everyone to worship today. I want to invite everyone to stand up on their feet right now and we're going to today. I want to everyone to stand up on their feet right now, and we're going to have our prayer team go to four different areas in the room. They're going to be marked by blue lights around the room. We can go turn the lights down and turn those blue lights on. And if you're an elder or a staff member or one of our prayer team, go to either up front here or in the north or south and southernmost entrances and exits of the facility of the worship center or here in the back. And if you need prayer today, go to one of these people and you can have be prayed over. During the next several moments we're going to be singing worship and worshiping and joining with the, the, the living creatures and the elders in heaven and we invite you to come and take part in the wedding supper of the lamb here on these stations. So wherever you feel led come to one of these places to take the bread, the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins and remember that the lamb has paved a way and at the end of the day the bride gets the groom and come take the Lord's supper. If you have limited mobility raise your hand and we'll bring the Lord's supper to you. Because in the midst of the wheel of chaos in our world around us, what we need most is a musical. So let's sing today.